He drew his pistol and put his thumb on the safety, ready to go in an instant. The 911 call reported that the gang, in the news so much lately, had gathered in a heavily wooded area outside a drug-ridden welfare section of town. But then, lots of people had been calling, worried that the gang was now in their neighborhood. He and his partner didn't think there was probably anything to this call either. Still, now that they had split up and were in the woods, he wanted to be ready for anything. He berated himself for letting his heart go so fast. This is just going to be another wild goose chase. But he was pretty sure he heard some movement off to his left. Probably just some stray cat or something. Of course, he still had to investigate. His already accelerated heart rate took a jump when he heard another sound behind him. He flipped off the safety, whipped his Glock up to fire as he whirled around. He saw nothing. But then a voice screamed out just twenty feet back where he had been headed. Got you, pig. Prepare to die. It was all slow motion as he crouched and spun to the right, saw the Beretta pointed at his chest, and pulled the trigger. Our perception often changes our reality. Let me share this exact same event from another person's perspective. A big group of his high school buddies and some of their friends were on their way over. They were going to have the mother of all airsoft reality games in the woods by his house. He even painted his plastic pistol flat black to make it look like the real thing. Man, it did look good. They were all so excited as they practically danced their way to the trees. All the guys were really into this. They wore costumes, and a lot of the others had also painted up their guns. There were submachine guns, rifles, and a ton of pistols like his. They quickly picked their goals, split up into teams, and sprinted into the underbrush. The first game was a blast, but it took over an hour with the big teams. This time they decided to make it an individual free-for-all. Everybody shoots everybody. Last man standing wins. He'd sent three guys back to the pit when he heard a sound off to his right and a little behind. He was pretty sure there was already another guy following further behind him, so he took cover low behind a bush to see if either of them would walk right by him. Pretty soon he saw one of the guys through the leaves. He was all dressed up like a cop. Must be one of the rich kids. His stuff was killer realistic, and he was really jumpy. The nervous guys are always easy to peg. Just as the guy came close enough to hit, the third guy behind the cop made a noise. The nervous kid spit around so that with that distraction it was time to get him. A big part of the fun is to see the look on the other guy's face when you shoot him. So as he jumped out, he shouted in his best criminal voice, Gotcha pig, prepare to die. The last thing he saw on this earth was the flash of a real pistol. The last thing he felt was the burning blow to his chest. It was at the height of the airsoft craze, not all that many years ago, when the aftermath of these two wrong perceptions was reported everywhere. This was a true story. A tragic error with lifetime consequences for the victim's family and for the guiltless but mistaken policeman who must live every day with the knowledge that he killed a kid who was just trying to have some innocent fun. Every day, people tragically perceive this world incorrectly and with consequences more dire. They forget that there is an eternity in which they will either live forever or not. They forget that there is a God who created all things and with whom they must come to terms. 
The question is, what are those terms? What is it that decides a person will live in joy forever or die in agony forever? This exact problem of misperception is exactly what Paul the Apostle ran into head on in Jerusalem.
the Apostle Paul ran into a misperception head on in Jerusalem. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. How is it that they are okay, at least externally, now, but just a few minutes later, Luke records that up to this word they listened to him, then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. All right. Before we go further with the Jews, let's deal with the misperceptions of this tribune, Claudius Lysias. Why did he give Paul permission to speak in the first place? Because he was hoping Paul would quell the riot. Instead, what he gets is an even more agitated crowd. Now remember, he doesn't know the language. But I'm guessing he'd picked up a few words like Gentile, gringo, would about equate it for us. Except he knew Gentile was a loaded word like pointing a loaded pistol at someone's chest. That's the last word that he heard Paul use. And now they're all violently screaming and throwing dust and cloaks into the air. What a scene. Maybe he thinks that Paul, instead of quelling the violence, had purposefully incited a riot. He may even wonder if this whole thing is a setup by the Jews to pick a fight against Rome. You know, like the Egyptian Jew that he had mentioned to Paul earlier? Paul soon corrects his misperception and God's plan goes on. But is it a perception problem with which we must deal? My mom visited our house in Tacoma a few years before she died and our neighbors were having a very animated conversation. (laughs) I know them, so I know they're just... They love to have a great conversation, even if it's all in Ukrainian and I can't understand a word of it. But mom asked, why are they so angry? Now my mom grew up in a very angry German-speaking family. Uh, She was in genuine fear that my neighbors were about to start throwing punches. But I knew they were just enjoying each other's company. To my mom, no one could be speaking loudly in a dialect like that unless they were very, very angry. It's amazing how our perceptions can be so strong and so wrong when we simply don't understand the words that people are using. And not just when it's a different language. I've seen a lot of older people get really angry with young people because of the words that they use. They yell at these kids, Don't you be so disrespectful to me. Don't you know what I've done for you? (laughs) But maybe, just maybe, it's not disrespect. Perhaps it's just another way to use words. Instead of our flying off the handle, why don't we try first to ask a simple question? Those words kind of sounded disrespectful to me. Can you tell me what you meant by them? Now, if they make it real clear that they were trying to be disrespectful, 
Maybe then you can fly off the handle. <laughs> you know, I'm kidding, right? Yeah. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But back to Paul. What about the anger of all those Jews? Their perception of God as the Creator was fine. They were zealous for God. It was their misconception, their conception of what defines the people of God. That's what was skewed. They knew, they just knew it was to be a Jew. Circumcision, sacred foods, sacred times, places, all contained in our sacred text, the Torah, the law. Nothing less is acceptable. If you're going to do it, do it right. (laughs) Everything or nothing. They were sure, but they were wrong. Perception is reality, but their perception was wrong. How do we deal with people who have a misperception? Those stubborn people who are so sure that they are right that they won't listen to a word that we say. You've run into it before. If it ain't a Ford truck, it ain't a truck at all. (laughs) You can insert Chevy or Dodge or whichever one you like. If they won't speak English, why did they want to come here? I mean, do we really think the reason they moved here was because English is so much of a better language than their native tongue? I mean, come on. (laughs) We all have ideas that we just know are correct. But maybe we have our facts wrong. Maybe we just don't know why something is done a certain way. Why something is said a certain way. Or the worst case... (laughs) We do not listen because we already know all we need to know. (laughs) And pity the poor soul who tries to tell us what the true reality is. Uh, But that's what Paul had to do. He had to tell them the truth. And that's what we have to do. We have to tell it on the mountain. (laughs) If these people in our lives really are headed for eternal joy through the grace of God or eternal torment without that grace... Should we not feel a driving need to correct their misperceptions? If the Holy Spirit indwells us, we will.
let's look at a few things that Paul did with that <clears throat> really tough crowd <laughs> and see how that might relate to us. Now first, he accommodated in words. Now we've already heard that he used their native language. Every language can communicate the message of God's grace, but choosing the one that's most comfortable for his hearers was the obviously better choice. Most of us are, sadly, not bilingual or multilingual, so this won't be an option for us, but we can choose our words and phrases in a way that makes our hearers comfortable. Consider Paul's first three words, brothers and fathers. What a thoroughly Jewish way to address a crowd. You may recall that Stephen used the exact three words in his defense. When Paul talked about his own conversion, he quoted Ananias' very Jewish language construction. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Peter used very similar statement clear back in Acts 2 at the first Pentecost when he was talking to a number of Jews. To those Jews, actions and beliefs were inseparable. Neither Peter nor Paul were saying that baptism removes sin. They were speaking with Jews who understood this word structure. Words like this were part and parcel with their lives. As Paul continues in this vein, using the term brothers a few more times, he says elders, God of our fathers, temple, synagogue, and witness. All words that normally flowed from the lips of his Jewish listeners. Every group of people has words that they are comfortable to use and they, they feel to them as identifiers of who they are. I mean, ever talked with a fisherman? <laughs> Occupation tends to bring a word set. But so does a person's place of origin. Each family group has their own language. Sports or other recreation has its own. Certainly a person's philosophy will bring with it a specific vocabulary. Whenever we speak with someone of Christ, we must invest ourselves into their world using words with which they are familiar, with which they are comfortable. It will help them to hear what we have to say. Now words that touch our hearts, church, faith, worship, salvation, grace, the blood of Christ, <laughs> the plan of salvation, great words they'll be unclear to them. <laughs> and we cannot expect these words to resonate with those who still outside the family of God like they do with us. In fact, these words may put them off rather than draw them in. Paul uses words to carefully tie himself together with them when he reports that Ananias came to me and standing by me said to me, Brothers all, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. Brother Saul. But he did more to form an affinity between himself and them. He said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. Now sometimes we're able to say, hey, I'm one of you, and I'm telling you to get to know Jesus. If you can, you know, do it. 
when Paul introduced Ananias as a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he wasn't just showing that Ananias was one that they could trust. He was saying, I recognize that being devout to the law is important. That was huge to them. And he could agree with them. When we can agree with someone in a part of their belief, we should quickly do so. In fact, we need to find things we can agree on. I don't know if you remember, but I remember a movie called The Day After when it was aired on TV a few decades ago. I don't know if you remember that one. It was during the Cold War era when we all talked about the possibility of the Russians dropping a nuclear bomb on us. It was day-to-day conversation. Now this was the first movie depicting what it would be like to live through such a horrific attack. It showed in clear detail a lot of people who didn't live through it and a lot of people with painful, lingering deaths. To say this was a disturbing movie for a great many people is an understatement. Now the producers knew this would be the case, so they were prepared. After the movie, they had a panel of scientists and politicians, many from opposing views, who were to discuss the issue. The stated purpose was to calm people's nerves. Instead, they spent the better part of an hour accusing each other of getting us into this predicament. If we keep up with your policies, we'll all be fried by a nuclear holocaust. Both sides were pointing fingers. All Americans. Eventually, minutes before they were scheduled to be off the air, the moderator noticed that the most expensive person they had hired to be at the table hadn't said a single word. So he quieted everyone down and asked Dr. Kissinger, what are your thoughts on this issue? Now I'd been honestly caught up in all the arguments, agreeing vehemently with one side and castigating the other. Henry Kissinger sat quietly for a moment before he sighed and said, none of us wants a nuclear war. We all have the same goal, each one of us and the Soviets, to avoid such an event at all costs. I mean, exactly, exactly. Now, Dr. Kissinger went on to outline potential courses of action, but for us, is it not true? Neither of us would ever want a person to spend eternity in hell. Now, I say it when I'm talking to them because I want to help people avoid it. Curiously, most people opposed to Christianity will say that That's why they don't believe in it. (laughs) Sorry, that's a little head in the sand thing. (laughs) I don't want it, so it doesn't exist. But the fact is we have the same agreement. Neither of us would ever want a person to spend eternity in hell. No matter how far apart any two people are on any issue, there is something on which we can agree. And often it is a core issue for both sides. People who say horribly nasty, unfounded things about Christians will almost all agree with us that the weak and defenseless ought to be protected by the strong. We have a starting point if we can get them to recognize our mutual concern. Once they recognize that, we could just ask them why they believe we should care for those who cannot care for themselves. 
Now as believers in a good creator God, we have a reason to to believe this. A philosophical materialist, a person who thinks there is nothing but the material world, doesn't. And once they recognize that their belief structure is internally inconsistent, perhaps they'll be interested in listening to our belief. You and I, you and I, have something in common with Muslim extremists, suicide bombers. We have something in common with them. We have something in common with Buddhist monks. (laughs) Sometimes it's pretty tough to find. (laughs) It's hard to find something to agree on. But we must so that we can earn the right to show them Jesus Christ. Back to our story, Paul then says a strange thing. I persecuted this way to the death. Wait a minute, Paul. (laughs) Nobody has said anything about any way. How are you like them in this when they've not even mentioned it? I thought this whole thing was about Gentiles. But, of course, this way is the primary issue. And Paul deals with it directly. It's that elephant in the room thing. If there wasn't any Christianity, there wouldn't be any issue with the Gentiles. <laughs> they stay on their side of the tracks, we stay on our side. But that's wrong. Jesus came specifically to tear down the walls of division. And Paul does not ignore the elephant, but brings it right up front. Now this issue had been boiling for some years, and Paul addressed it in his very first letter. Speaking of Peter, also known as Cephas, he said that before some men came from Jerusalem to Galatia, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And he goes on to say, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Nobody is justified by the works of the law? What are those works of the law? Circumcision, sacred food, sacred times and places, reading the sacred text. Being in the temple is a work of the law. Keeping the sacred places clear of Gentiles is a work of the law. Not eating the wrong foods is a work of the law. Celebrating the right days, keeping the Sabbath holy, those are works of the law. But none of these ever justified anyone. And if they were to read it carefully, those Jews would have known that the very law they think they are upholding says that all these acts are a witness of a person's repentant. His repentance towards God and looking to God for justification by grace. They should have known David's plea to God, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. They thought living those things made them Jews and being a Jew made them right with God. But David says, no. 
in that same psalm, he said, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. Who is it that has the righteousness? God. Not David. Not any man. Not any Jew. Paul brought the elephant to the front of the class and he talked about it. He did not let the major issue slide. But he also showed them that he understood their behavior and position. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. It's important not to pretend we've always had everything right. (laughs) We have to admit that we are sinners. Sinners saved by grace, but sinners. Paul returns to the same point at the end of his short talk. Jesus told him the people in Jerusalem would not listen to him, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Paul knows their passion because he lived their passion. And he's very clear that he understands what they feel. Why? Because he's leaving them no place to go. I understand your feelings. I had them too. But I now know I was wrong. So when I say you were wrong, I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Paul said he was there at Stephen's murder. Well then, probably so were some of them. Don't you think this would have upset them? I want to read you an excerpt from a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome just a few months before these events. Now remember, the Jews in Jerusalem were worried about what Caligula would do. Imagine what those in Rome, right in Caligula's backyard, were thinking. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? He deals with some of God's response to the faithlessness of some Jews and continues. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All these quotations are from the Old Testament, what the Jews call the law. Paul continues, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You want to be under the law? To be judged by the law? Even after hearing these quotes? (laughs) So what should they, and we, be thinking is the purpose of the law? For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law proves you sin. All the while talking about the righteousness of God. But what is the righteousness that can only come from God? And righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For all who believe. Everybody. Jews and Gentile. Liberal and conservative. All fall short of the glory of God. Everyone who will be justified will be only through the grace of God. The sad thing is that those Jews knew all of this. Well, they knew all the words. <laughs> but their perceptions were so strong, their sin was so deeply embedded that they would not even admit they were sinning. Even though Paul avoided the use of words that might cause trouble if possible, like saying everyone in verse 15 instead of the more precise Jews and the Gentiles, even though he told stories that should have grabbed them as Jews, like his conversion story, and this one, when I had returned to Jerusalem was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, well, I don't know about you, but if some guy came up to me and said, I was in a trance and Jesus talked with me, <laughs> I'd be looking for the closest exit. Okay? <laughs> uh, what are you, nuts? But Jews of the first century didn't think that way. Having a trance and hearing from God was to them the sign of a true man of God. Indeed, a prophet. By the way, rabbit trail. Anyone want to guess which group in the New Testament experienced trances in communication with God? And I'll give you the hint. It's a sign. And if you've been listening the last few months, you might have guessed it was the apostles. And only the apostles. Interesting. What's astounding is that these Jews listened through all of this. Paul directly talked about the way. He blatantly says Jesus spoke to him from heaven. Every Jew would mean that was a claim of, of divinity for Jesus. Incredibly, he even said, Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. They didn't understand God's voice. Could he be more obvious? Hey, you men, you don't understand God. <laughs> he claimed miracles were done to and by him, a claim to divine intervention that any Jew would not miss. He even reported Jesus' words from heaven. Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. That's a slap in the face. And yet they took it without so much as a whimper. In fact, it was all the way up till he said one word before they exploded. Seems like the end is coming 
seems like the signs are lining up As far as I can see We're closer now than ever This pain won't last forever, no Love is on his way attentively all the way up to one word and then it was Mount St. Helens (laughs) and he, Jesus, said to me go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles up to this word Gentiles why did nothing else Paul say bother them he told them flat out that they were refusing to hear the message of God that Jesus is God. He said they were accomplices with him to murder. And they took all that, but blew up with one word. (laughs) We talked about it last week, but really why? Well, they weren't believers. They did not have a relationship with God. They didn't under the old system, the law, and they didn't with the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So with hearts not focused towards God, they became focused on that which is less than God, on themselves. 
they made themselves a little club we are Jews and we are right and everybody else is wrong in fact everyone who is not us is our enemy the very word Gentiles meant everyone not us their complete self-absorption made them blind to the truth as blatantly as Paul verbally slapped their faces they didn't feel it they didn't hear it many thousands of Jews in Jerusalem and all over the world heard the good news of Jesus Christ and moved from the old system to the new with joy in their hearts they understood that this was God's intended plan of salvation all along because they were believers all along but these Jews these Jews wanted to be important they wanted to be God's plan in the world his plan for salvation his plan for ruling but only God himself in the form of the son can have that honor they put their petty little desires ahead of the good news of Jesus Christ (sighs) those foolish Jews aren't you glad nothing like that ever happens in the church (laughs) hey we're saved by grace but we're still sinners Paul had to write to that troubled church in Corinth about this sort of divisiveness. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be unified in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul recounts how few he baptized and he continues, For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God Paul then compares the foolishness of men with the wisdom of God he points out that God uses what seems weak and foolish to men to bring the good news to all and that they are that weak and foolish thing and yet because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord the unbelieving Jews that Paul faced in Jerusalem we can understand of course they got it wrong they don't believe but the people in Corinth were believers and yet they were focusing on themselves on their little group 
The Jews were boasting that they were Jews and they thought that was enough. It's incredibly foolish. The Corinthian believers were boasting that they hung with Paul or Apollos or Peter. But they should have been focused on Jesus. In the morning When I rise In the morning When I rise In the morning When I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus You can have all this world Just give me Jesus When I am alone When I am alone Jesus, give me Jesus. 
gave me Jesus. People should focus on Jesus. It's all about perception. Those Jews had it all wrong. They were busy protecting their turf when they should have been demonstrating God to the world with their actions and they lost their chance at eternal life. The Corinthian Christians got it wrong. They were busy forming their own little cliques instead of focusing on Jesus and their witness for Christ was badly damaged. So, we're probably going to have to use the lessons of this message to the Jews with both non-believers and with those who already believe. We have to understand that the way others use words may not be the same way that we use them, even if we both speak English. We have to know that people may understand part of the truth but miss the main point. Maybe they have their facts wrong. Maybe they are just so focused on their issues they can't see any other. We need to enter another person's world to try to use words and phrases that help them to understand. They need to know that what is important to them is important to us. We must find that on which we do agree. Maybe it will be the core issue. We need to be upfront about our own nature. We too are sinners, but sinners saved by grace. No one is without sin. All need God's righteousness because we, we've got none of our own. <laughs> we need to tell stories that get their attention and we must never compromise or avoid the truth. We should be clear that they do not understand that their perception is wrong. Misperceptions cause the death of a young man just trying to have fun with his friends. Misperception of spiritual truth can result in something much worse, eternal death. Which brings us to Paul's great hope. Even with God, our perceptions will one day actually be reality. A cop with a perception that a ruthless gang might try to ambush and kill him. A young man living in a perception of a game. And that young man is dead. But death on this earth isn't the end. Is that boy suffering eternal death? Is he living in perfect, endless joy? I don't know. But I do know this. If he could come back now and talk to you... It wouldn't be about guns. It wouldn't be about games. There's only one perception about which he would be anxious to speak. What is your perception of Jesus Christ? Lots of things are important, but only one is ultimately, eternally important. Know who Jesus is. That's the only perception you must get right. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.